Welcome to the Common Humanity Podcast, where we are here to have real human conversations. Um, this conversation started a little bit before we uh, actually did the intro, so it's a little different than usual, but it is a great conversation, and I'm excited to bring it to you guys. Um, I actually uh, wrote, I was asked to write an article for um, Women's Strength Coalition. It's no longer published, but it was about endometriosis and how USAPL effectively kicked me out of um, the federation because I have endo and would not allow me to compete. Uh, it would not give me a, TU, uh, a therapeutic, therapeutic use exemption. Anyway, I wrote this article ab- ab- about my experience and um, I would get one to two messages a month from women all over the world who had endometriosis because there was never anyone publicly an athlete that has endo. There are two on record at that time, maybe more now, obviously it's much more, people are much more comfortable talking about it. Um, but it was a, an Olympic skier, um, an Olympic biker. So, um, I was like, I'm going to come out and talk about it because this is absolutely insane that five men are choosing to make a decision about my health and none of them have education in what I have and or female health. So didn't realize yeah, I was still worked out about actually- that how I originally found you on Instagram. Oh, interesting. Okay. But I, I don't know if I read the article first or you had posted something. That's, I mean, that's what was so funny. Cause like when I ran into you in St. Louis that I was like, I was like, yeah, somebody from here posted this. And you're like, who was it? I'm like, I don't know. Oh shit. It was you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I like went back through some stuff. And I was like, how, like, why did I stop following her? Like, was it, was it just lifting stuff? Was it this? And I remember having seen that article. I'm like, this is cool. Cause I like my thing was I'm a I'm a larger bodied woman. And like right when I was getting into actually competing in powerlifting, I was also going through eating disorder recovery. And so like I was terrified that I wasn't going to make weight at my first competition, made it by like half a pound. I literally walked in. And I'm outspoken a bit. And I walked in, like, like walked up to this old dude. And I was like, okay, so how do we change the, the weight classes? Because it seems like utter bullshit that men's heavyweight doesn't start until 308 and women starts at 200. And he's like, well, that's just because that's women's bodies. So I'm like, that's bullshit. That yeah. is some, like, backwards idea from the 40s where women weren't supposed to weigh over 130 pounds and like even I was talking about this the other day like got my lean body mass check from my dietitian the other day and I'm like my lean body mass is like 140 and because like I have like I know I have fat on my body I don't have a six-pack so like I know that's true but a woman my height isn't supposed to weigh over 130 pounds (laughs) Like, do the math. I'm like, that doesn't work. That's like negative 0% body fat. That's, yeah. So then, like, it, I found out there was like this whole, uh, well, it was fight that had already been started by, um, oh, come on, brain. I'm looking on Instagram. I'm just like I can I like I don't know who it was, but I can start naming lifters. Amber Alice was one of them. Um, or no, that's not her last her actual last name. That's her 
Amber Hansen, maybe. Um, but it's the main event project. That's what it was. See, I didn't actually have to look on Instagram. I just had to open Instagram so my brain was. Yep. Um, but the main event project. So like, I don't know. It it was one of my probably the most exciting weekends of potentially my entire life when I I felt famous on the internet for the one and only time because um, there was USPA was like was had, like put something on their Instagram that was like hey ask us any question and some lady said when are you gonna expand women's weight classes and they're like oh there's just not enough like like not enough people want it and I was like that's not true <laughs> like this is you know the things and so um I was like what like what data do you need like I I love spreadsheets like I will give you the data that like to break this down if you don't want to do the work I'll do the work I'll present it to you it'll be fine and they're like well we have to show that there's enough growth and all of this and eventually they said something about how they don't want to water down the competition and I just went off and so I was like okay so there are nationally in that so that was 2021 there were 24 women between 90 pounds and 124 pounds there were 24 women who competed in those lower <laughs> and there were 400 some women in the 200 plus and most of those were 220 to um a session 240 no that's not right i don't know it's not my weight class my brain doesn't register <laughs> but um i like i just started like spitting out statistics on instagram to work I was like, no, like, if it's not about watering down competition, like the ratio of men to women is ridiculous. Like, there are only 25 men nationwide who compete in the heavyweight class or whatever, for 308. And I was just looking at raw because doing all of the different classes way too much. I was like, we're gonna, we're just gonna look at this, whatever. I like how you physically like rolled up your sleeves. And you're like, like, look, let me let me dig into this. So we had to get down to work. And so there, the first time ever in my life, I was part of getting the comments turned off on Instagram. So, <laughs> um, because it was in those comments, like people started mentioning to me, they're like, you need to uh, like look into main event project, look into Amber Alice, like look at what they're doing. And so I contacted them, the lady who runs Lifting Large podcast or not Lifting Large part podcast, that's a good one. Um, brain. Um, not female powerlifting, women in powerlifting. Girls who powerlift right now. No, it's not that one. I don't know. Either way, she reached out to me, and she was like, "Okay, so people are wanting to know where you're getting this data. Like, there are a lot of refs right now who are pissed off, and they're like, they're they're mad that people are putting this out there, and there are people who are sharing it, and." Like, it's the first time any of my, like, stories had ever been shared. And I was like, oh, my God. And um, she was like, so where are you getting this? Because, like, there's a lot of questions. I was like, I literally pulled it off of USA Powerlifting. Open. Like, I, oh, yeah. Open Powerlifting. Yeah. I was like, I, it, like, 
you can just export look it. Look at it. Yeah, look at it. It, it. You can export it direct and it like, gives you the numbers. Like it's not, it's not hard to calculate. And then if you look at it over the course of the last 10 years, the largest growing, um, yeah, the largest growing classes have been women 200 plus. So the most growth in powerlifting overall has been in those classes. And I so, will say I, when I first started powerlifting early on, I mean, that was like, wow, 2015, 2016. Um, Al, I cannot think of his last name for whatever it is escaping me right now of squat to depth. He made a comment about how he thinks that women brought back the sport of powerlifting. He's like, and I'll stand by that. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you look at it and it's like, no, I didn't hear powerlifting <laughs> until all of a sudden I got approached at the gym and it was like, hey, you're not the greatest at CrossFit, but you're really strong. You want to try powerlifting? And I was like, what's this? No cardio? Yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then I got into it and I was like, what is this world? It's so supportive. There's so many females. They're all super strong. And it's like, rawr. <laughs> right. And one of the biggest things for me is nobody gives a shit what you look like. Right. Like, first of all, nobody looks good in a singlet. Nobody. <laughs> I've, I've seen some very, very jacked dudes. And they put on a singlet. I'm like, right. Yeah, no, like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so it's like, is a part of me that like they do that on purpose take away all the glamour right um but yeah bust a can of biscuits right here exactly but it's I don't know and then so I I reached out to them and I was like what do you need like I can like this is the the data that I have this is what I have like is there anything you need to me? They're like, actually, we got this, like, we had these people pull the data three months ago. We have these fantastic. They just needed you to cause the stir. And they, they were like, just look for like, in a, like literally a few weeks later, they were like, the petition goes out and share it, share it, share it. And so the petition went out within 24 hours. There were like seven of like those small federations across the U S that were like, yeah, no, of course we're going to. I know I was part. I remember. I, sorry, I didn't mean to get so excited, but that was that I, that movement was so great because it literally happened overnight, and I I remember when it hit because like it started making waves through everywhere because everyone was like, oh, and then all of a sudden every federation was like, oh yeah, we're gonna add this, and it's like, where was this five ten years ago? Right. Well, it's because ten years ago, um, in general in our society, women were still not still not supposed to be strong and they weren't supposed to be independent they weren't supposed to be like all of those things like 10 years ago was now when I was in college uh that was like 12 years ago whatever but still like there was still a lot of societal pressure like I I went to the gym a lot and there were not a lot of other women in the gym and if they were in the gym they were on a treadmill or a bike, or an elliptical, and that's the only place I ever saw women, and it, it makes me so happy that, like, the coming generation has just grown up in an era of, like, women are supposed to be strong badasses, and, like, 
there's always going to be people who are like, yeah, I'd prefer to be skinny. I went to a, like a nutrition seminar thingy this weekend. And there was one lady who said, well, my, my teenage son really wants to bulk and he wants to gain muscle. Not me though, because I'm a woman. So I just want to lose weight. And I was just like, oh my God, there's so much. I don't even know you. And there's so much more to you than the size of your body. But frustrating is that most people fail to understand the amount of work it takes to get to that level and no amount of trying of these people is going to get them there. And that's what I think is the hardest part is that it's like, oh no, lifting weights is going to make me bulky. I post all the time how much I work out and I would not consider myself a bulky person. I don't know. I like, I... On the one hand, I mean, I, I am kind of a, I, I call myself chonky. It's not chunky. It's, it's different. It's thicker than that. It's a little more solid than chunky. It's chonky. I don't know. It's the word I made up. But it's, I have, okay, I haven't grown since I was 11. I, so I've been five, six since I was in fifth grade. Um. I've worn, I wear now two sizes larger than I did in fifth grade. So I wear a size 14 pants. Um, that might actually be only one size higher. I don't know, I wore size 13s in junior high and that was like, you know, junior sizes versus women's sizes are all wonky. Um, the one time I've ever fit into a size 10 was right before my wedding when I was 24 and I was 145 pounds, which is less than I ever was in high school when I was a competitive athlete and was like probably the worst visually I've ever been with my eating disorders. Like skin and bones, not great, right? Um, like to think of it, my 14-year-old little brother told me the other day that he's 145 pounds and I looked at him and I'm like, how the hell did you weigh the same? Because that's just like not just does not compete with my brain but like I haven't grown substantially in that time like actual physical size um my hips maybe widened a little bit bearing children or something like that whatever but I'm a I'm a pretty thick person to begin with so I always joke like there's the reel that goes around that's like everybody knows that girl who like in regular clothes looks like a regular sized woman but in gym clothes she's like I can't do the Arnold voice but she's like feel my biceps and tell me I'm pretty and I'm just like I'm like the exact opposite like in real clothes like if I wear jeans and like a t-shirt I look like like a, a typical overweight mom but if you put me in gym clothes I just look like muscle <laughs> like a lot of it so, so I'm glad that I live in gym, basically. I guess my definition of bulky isn't, when I say I'm not bulky, I have had a very different, I uh, actually lost over 100 pounds. Um, so I think when I think bulky, I think of an actual bodybuilder because I think that's the picture people paint in their head when they're like, oh, I don't want to get bulky. Yeah. Um, do I thrive and strive to have muscle? Yes, give me more, all of it, all day long. <laughs> Am I going to eat like a bodybuilder? Nope. 
<laughs> am I gonna cut like that nope so like and that's just not what I'm trying to do in life so um but yeah you're right like the idea of women and the fact that you know there are a lot more women in the gym when I started going to the gym um okay so I actually uh was bullied okay you asked the other powerlifter this I'm gonna back up into this question uh but how I started powerlifting (laughs) is um I was bullied hardcore as a little kid uh I was overweight um as I look back at it knowing and having healed through a lot of the stuff it um it was just that's how I dealt with things was through eating food also dopamine hits with that ADHD brain right yep so um when I I'm talking like man there's this one kid who would see me at the swimming pool and he would call me a sea cow and actual sea cows are a thing I didn't know that and he would ask me if I wanted jelly with my rolls I mean like this was like everyday harassment I mean I would just get it constantly so when I got older and graduated high school um like I had two dreams as a kid I wanted to live in New York and I wanted to be skinny oh I hate that I say that but that's what I wanted um and so when I graduated college I started doing some stuff and then I started dropping weight through a program at my gym and it like I had to relearn how to eat in terms of like what portion sizes were what because that typical food for me was like a whole frozen pizza and a pint of vinegar is like that was dinner regularly um so when I started getting into the gym it was like I can out exercise my mouth (laughs) watch me so like I was just really good at the gym I sucked at the diet part of it but I lost over 100 pounds I got real small. Um, I was at my heaviest, 275 pounds, and my smallest, I got to like 160. And that friends were like, you you need to stop. You're getting, I mean, like collarbones and just things were. Yeah. Um, but I was doing CrossFit, and that's whenever the person was like, you should try powerlifting. So I put on 40 pounds of muscle uh, when I started powerlifting. Um, I actually had four weeks of notice before I did my first powerlifting meet, and I set a Missouri state record in deadlift. I was like, this is my freaking jam. Like, I love this. And not only was it fun because I was good at it, but it was fun because not a single person could ever make me feel like I was when I was bullied. Like, no, I'm the strongest person in the room, hands down, every day. I walk, I mean, like, you know, and I kind of, I was able to get that through, I don't know how many meets I did. I've gone to Worlds twice. I set a world record. It's like, boom, okay, great. Uh, I did, I came, I saw, I conquered. Um, and then COVID hit and we were also looking at potential civil war. And I was like, I need to learn how to not just be the strongest person in the room, but like know how to do something with it. So I started training in jujitsu, uh, actually karate first and then jujitsu. Um, I really like it. I really suck at it. <laughs> <laughs> I probably won't ever compete. It's very different. I think I got my competing out with powerlifting. Besides with jujitsu, like I'm not trying to show up and fight people. I don't want to fight people. I'm a lover, not a fighter. However, if I ever get jumped, I want the joke to be on you. Yes, 100%. <laughs> so I think I think my trauma, my response to healing my trauma was through powerlifting, through finding the inner strength that I always had, but in a physical manner as it manifested mm-hmm. itself. Um, because like nobody can tell me nothing now, you know? Yeah, I was actually... Um, we'll, we'll tangent into this, this next, well, thing I know that you're interested in. Um, I introduced <laughs> a friend of mine to an ice bath the other day, and um, we were discussing, like, the different ways that it can help 
you mentally, physically, things like that. And I was like, here's the thing is I think like no matter how in tune you are with yourself, I think it's just always easier when there's that physical cueing. So whether it's having a lifting belt on cueing you that, hey, you need to breathe out just a little bit further and press your abdomen out and hold your brace or jumping into ice water and calming your breath. So like there's just a lot of different ways where it's a lot easier to do to to heal trauma, to heal anything if you add that physical aspect to it because when you so I say this a lot, but like lifting weights, there's there is nothing more vulnerable than trying to hit a max lift. Like it is like you literally aren't done until you fail. Like failure failure is the end, but then it's the beginning again. It's like, okay, this is where I'm at now. Now I can break past that. But if you never put yourself in the position to fail, you never get to find out how strong you can be. And so I think that's like where that physicality comes in and like the ice bath as well. Like if you don't, you don't dunk yourself in that, you have no idea if you can survive. Like, and it's great when you do it in a controlled place because like, if it's too much, you have the option of getting out. <laughs> you fall well, into a, a lake. That's, no. That training has, has, I found that training in my life. Um, I'm, <laughs> being vulnerable here I uh, am terrified of fish it's the dumbest fear I hate that it's a thing but I fell into uh, our pond as a kid and got nibbled on and then like got nibbled on on the sandbar as a college kid and just like you know if I can't I don't know what's underneath there whatever you see people put their arms in the you know rivers and pull out catfish the size of my bot no nothing about that is exciting so when I went to the Bahama I went to Jamaica with my friends (laughs) I knew I was gonna have to get in water so uh, we went snorkeling and it was a lot of fun, but there were a few times where I definitely hit panic attack mode and I was able to in water in my, in my terrified state in in things I'm terrified of collect myself and be like, I'm here enjoying my vacation and come back to what I was doing in the moment. So I freaking love ice baths and the meditation, the breathing. I wouldn't even call it meditation because I can't meditate with ADHD. It's not a real thing. Let's be honest, but I can focus on breathing. I can hyper-focus on what I'm supposed to be doing at the time, but like not having thoughts is not a thing for people with ADHD. Um, I had, yeah, 100%. I saw my boyfriend is like a yogi, right? And he's like, you just need to practice meditation. I'm like, you just need to shut your face. <laughs> The thing is, is that I have five trains of thought at minimum going, and it's great yeah. for lots of things. Um, but silence is not one of those things. But ice baths shut it. It shuts down all paths, and it's literally like you can only do the one thing that you're doing right now. So it very much centers me. Um, in addition to like all the other benefits, and then I do do practice yoga. It's generally more of a yin yoga. Um, but I had a yen, I had a yen yoga teacher that just t- in one of a class, I was the only person to show up for class that day. And it was the only time I've ever had that happen. And I was like, this is weird. Uh, but it was honestly the best yoga class ever because she was talking about 
the idea of yin and yang and how it's the opposite. So I can only be as strong as I can be soft. And at that moment, I was like, oh, shit, I can't just keep chasing these PRs. I have to work on recovery at the same veracity that I'm like, I've just got to tackle it the same way that I tackle my PRs. Um, mm -hmm. And so now that is, that's, you know, why I prioritize the ice baths and breath work and sauna and why I prioritize stretching and yoga and breathing and like all that adjust as much as I do jujitsu and lifting. Yeah. So what does that like, just my curiosity, uh, what does that schedule look like? <laughs> that's one it's a lot but it's also because um, my whole thing is like I have too many hobbies and I need to fit too many things into 24 hours so that's you know that's a good question um what's fun is that before I had a hysterectomy in November of 2021 and before that I was doing lifting karate and jujitsu so I don't know how I was juggling that because I've not been able to pick up <laughs> I can't pick up anything else right now um but generally speaking I lift heavy um, three days a week. And then one of those days, uh, in addition to that, it's like a cardio hit workout type of thing. So it's lifting, but not real lifting. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I do, I try to do jujitsu three days a week. I fell out of it over December just because my mental health wasn't there. And the first thing to go is going to be jujitsu because that taxes my mental health the most because it's a vulnerability. It's very different type of vulnerability. I can show up and fight a barbell any day, you know, like, I'll surrender to that barbell, whatever you want me to do, I'm here. But in jujitsu, you got, it's a whole different, you have people and then the people, the like that's a variation that is too, there's too much, um, I, there's no stability there. I don't know who I'm going to show up. I don't know who's going to be my partner. I don't know what's going to be happening that day or where my mindset's at. And as someone who has struggled being a bigger person, sometimes I can't just show up to jujitsu and like do what we're doing that day without having a whole mental thing about, okay. I used to be 225 pounds. It's totally okay that I'm sitting on top of this person. They're okay. Mm -hmm. They signed up for this, you know? Yeah. But as a kid getting bullied, it was always like, what are you going to do? Sit on me and kill me? And it's like, oh, I sit on people now. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I'll do jujitsu three three times a week. Usually it's, you know, two weeknights and then um, a weekend. And then every night before bed, I do some sort of stretching breathing routine whether it's five minutes or an hour, usually it's more of an hour, but that's a lot of it has to do with like, okay, brain, shut up. <laughs> and like, as I bring my physical body down, brain also needs to be quiet. Um, so that's kind of just how it gets incorporated. And then I also just recently got certified the XPT certification. Mm -hmm. And um, I started incorporating diaphragm massages. I sound so woo-woo. Uh, but diaphragm massages and breathing before I lift. And then I've been playing with the power breath and fire breath before, like heavier, higher rep sets. Mm -hmm. Wow. It is immensely different to like go in with lots of oxygen in your body and then hit a set of 10 and be like, cool. Instead of like hit a set of 10 and be like, <laughs> no, that's not fun. That was a really long winded way to answer that question, huh? <laughs> They're my favorite kind of stories, the ones that take multiple turns. So um, I did, just a side note, um, I'm doing Squattober in January since I didn't get to do it in October since I was prepping for North Americans. And so the, the it was a 10-minute a AMRAP 
of an 80%, however many two rep sets you can do. And so, like, I was really pushing for 12 sets. And, like, because I got a few sets in and I was like, okay, if I just knock off five seconds of rest each time, because, like, I was averaging 30 to 40 seconds of rest in between sets. So you don't really get to recover by any means. And I was really pushing. And then I was like finishing set 11 and I had like 12 seconds left. And I was like, I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it. <laughs> it's going to be fine. It's fine. <laughs> but there, honestly, that's, ma- that's maturity because lifters will push to get numbers to seek that, that lift and knowing when it's like, mm, I'd rather walk tomorrow, you know? Right? I would rather not tear another hamstring and set me back another six months to a year. That'd be great. So I was lucky I think- to have a coach early on that really, he, he studies, studied um, athletes uh, as sports performance specifically. And he would constantly give us these little education nuggets of, you know, kids who are testing in or like, like exam, midterm finals, whatever are like, so such a percent higher to injure themselves so those coaches want to work on like lightening the loads, hardcore deloads during, you know, stressful times. So like when I would come into the gym, my coach would be like, how are you? And I'm like, you don't care. What do you want to know? And then he finally explained to me, I'm asking so I could understand <laughs> where you're at. And you're like, are you super stressed out? Is life going good for you? And I was like, oh, okay. Well, once I knew that was what you were wanting, not like, what's the tea, Nicole, you know, uh, yeah. but where you're at in your life can drastically determine injury rates as well for sure and I I don't know I think that I think that's the thing I'm most proud of in all of my growing as a as an athlete in general and not just I mean as an athlete as a person knowing when I need rest and not even it doesn't always have to be rest knowing when I need recovery knowing when it's too much knowing and like being okay with like hey I I don't have to like I know I wrote down a percentage that was my goal to hit today but it doesn't feel right so I'm gonna lift what I can what does feel right and know that that's still progressing me forward and it's not just progressing me forward physically but it's also progressing me forward mentally because I'm not putting myself in danger just because my brain or my ego says I'm supposed to. It's the ego for sure. I mean, like there's a lot of mentality of like, just try harder, do more, rah, rah. And it's like, okay, but what does that do? (laughs) Like, what does that accomplish? You're not getting anywhere with that. I don't know. I say that and I'm notorious for YOLO lifting. I don't do it anymore as much but like when I was really into powerlifting um I would always be like just two two more kilos just a little bit more kind of a little bit more to constantly trying to push those numbers up um but at this point in the game I know when I can push and when I can't push uh I would never say that to like a newbie but I thought when I was new that I could do that game and I definitely couldn't but that's why coaches are so important well and I think there's this one kid who, like, I'm not, I've never been his official coach because he's never paid me for it, but um, he would lift at the gym. He was a lifeguard at the Y, 
and he would just come in six days a week, just work out for two hours until he like couldn't feel his arms and legs. And he's like, I don't know why I'm not getting gains. I'm like, well, you're doing way too much. <laughs> so like I nerded out on him. I was like, write down everything you do. And he like brought me his training and I just crossed things off. <laughs> like, this is what you're doing now. And he was like, this isn't enough. I was like, just trust me. And so like his, I mean, he started growing. He, like, his PRs start going up like crazy. Like he's just pushing more and more weight. And so he texted me uh, a couple weeks ago and like, I don't know, a few months ago it was, Hey, you know, someday I just want to be as strong as you. And I was just like, I mean, you're a 15 year old boy. You're going to get there eventually. <laughs> but Pounding probably already is. And what's wild is that like that kid has like natural performance enhancing drugs just flowing through his, yeah. like that, that age of like, like 14 to even like 19, 20, those kids, mm-hmm. it's like unfair. I mean, I get that's how biology works, but I mean, if you all would just eat and sleep, all eat and sleep, the amount of gains that you would have. And instead they're like, oh, I'd rather sit and play video games and party. I mean, I get it, be a kid, whatever, but wow, that level up that they could be doing earlier on. I mean, if they just put those muscles on now, oh, okay, I'm sorry. I don't need to preach to the choir. Well, no, it's like, so that was actually one of the things he asked me at one point. He was like, okay, what supplements do I need to be taking? I was like, you're 14. Like, you don't need to be taking supplements. Food. Eat food. Like, he was like, do I need to take creatine? I was like, do you drink milk on a regular basis? He's like, yeah, I drink like half a gallon a day. And I was like, you probably don't need a creatine supplement. Like, at this age, probably not. Like, it's not going to hurt you, but it's probably not going to do a heck of a lot for you. When you're older, if you don't consume dairy and you don't consume red meat on a regular basis, then yes. But you don't need to be pumping yourself full of all of this stuff just because your friends are doing it and like you like just eat good food and so like I don't know if he ever took my advice on that or not but <laughs> and granted my I'm a much bigger lover of creatine now than I was then I still don't think at 14 I don't think 14 year olds need to supplement much of anything if they have a good diet because again they like their body is naturally just like pumping them full of testosterone and I had this conversation the other day of just how unfair it was I remember in high school being so pissed off in the gym like when all of my friends who were dudes their bench press started skyrocketing skyrocketing over mine and I was just like I work so much harder than you and they're just like yeah but I finally hit puberty I was like super cool (laughs) gives me wide hips and extra fat and your puberty gives you just a lot of strength and I think it's real dumb and unfair thank you biology so yeah but no so now he's he texted me and he is officially um his deadlift is in the 300 and I was like I mean after my injury like you're officially deadlifting more than me right now and I was like so as long as you keep doing what I tell you to do and not what I do you're gonna be fine <laughs> like yeah keep to the plan do as do as I say not as I do and you're gonna be super duper strong and injury free because that's one of the the biggest things if you want to be as strong as you can possibly be the most important thing is not get injured because every time you get injured 
you have to recover from that and it gets harder and harder every time yes it's a real big bummer especially when you start start to be old i don't believe in being old but my children think i'm old i don't think we're anywhere near what's classified as old you know what there is like an 87 year old woman who still deadlifts more than me so until i can break (laughs) her record i'm not old so. That's hilarious. I uh, was at one of my last meets and um, one of the women gave me advice on my deadlift. And I was like such an egotistical jerk. But I was like, girl, I got a world record deadlift. She's like, so do I. And I was like, oh shit. So I go look her up and her deadlift is fine. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> to be fair, she was crushing my sumo, which greatest. And my record's unconventional. But it was just still, like, a moment of, like, oh, shit, Nicole, you like, she just checked you. <laughs> and I just assumed I was doing fine because I was younger. Nope. Nope. Yeah, definitely. Um, at North Americans, I cried on the shoulder of an old lady who is just a crazy badass and holds world, world records. And she was deadlift as well. And, like, she gave me hugs, and there's just lots of tears. I'm like, I don't even know you. Why are you being so nice to me? It could very well be the same person, because there's not that many people who have that heavy deadlift in the area. I mean, I know that North Americans brought in people from all over, but, I mean, it did have a huge STL presence. No, yeah, she was from Canada. So. Oh. <laughs> but they do fly in a lot of those reps, too, because I've seen a lot of them at, like, even in Vegas or in Ireland. I saw, like, I was like, wait. They flew you all the way out to Ireland, way to go. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like, I've always wanted to travel the world. And I've just decided, like, I'm just going to travel the world with powerlifting and double dip. You're like, okay, well, I need to go to a meet here because I want to go there. And then go to the meet and then be on vacation after the meet. So I did that, um, actually. Uh, I have competed in Fayetteville, Arkansas. That was a last chance qualifier, but it was just a really pretty area that I had no idea existed. I've gone, you know, it's gone back since. And then I competed in Vegas. And then after I competed the next day, drove to the Green Canyon. And then again, for Ireland, that ended up being a 10-day trip I did by myself. I I didn't backpack through Europe, but essentially lived on a carry-on, which had my belt wrapped around it and my shoes tied to it. Uh, Yeah. I had to travel with all my all my lifting equipment, but uh, I went and uh, traveled around and like hiked the cliffs of Moore the day before the powerlifting meet. So when it came for squat and I failed my second squat because I got a call for up down mo- movement, I got the squat, but it was like Nicole. I don't regret that, but I definitely didn't make the best decision to like go hiking the day before a meet. Uh, but it was also the prettiest place I've been, so would do it again. Um, what, so of all of the places you've been, what's your favorite place? Ooh, so there, oh, that's a hard one. Um, that's hard because I've really gotten into traveling here lately. Ireland has green hues that do not exist in other parts of this world. Um, Paris is... I used to live in New York City. Paris reminds me so much of New York City, but like romantic. It's just different. Uh, but if I had to choose, I would just generalize and say Colorado. 
I just, in the, right. I mean, like I've been to, I've been to Colorado. I mean, how many times the mountains, the, the activities, the things to do. I think honestly, um, it's funny because I grew up in a very, very, very small town, um, moved to a small town and then moved to New York city and St. Louis. Cause I was always like the city kid. I was always going to be a city kid. And I think the older I get, the more I want to be a mountain woman where I'm like, surrounded by animals and nobody else and just just living my sustainable life all on my lonesome i mean when i finally can build a commune you can totally come live in one of the tiny houses and, and so that's the thing them. is that like not to go off on that tangent but they say that like for sick for happiness for communities for them to be of sizes that are sustainable it's around 100 and 150 people so yeah, like the idea of creating a commune, like I've been, this is so weird. I can't believe I've talked about this on this podcast, but I mean, I have been looking at Wisconsin because um, they talk about Great Lakes being one of the better places to go for the climate change effects, just being close to salt water. Uh, so just looking at, you know, buying land in a, in a state that has five people in it and starting to work on my compound that is self-sustainable. Can You know, I, I want to be able to, even though I'm, I, currently eat carnivore um I would still love to have like a whole garden a whole farm let's go like that sounds so much more fun and again another tangent I do digital marketing for a living but AI and the way things are going I'm going to be kicked out of that in like five ten years tops so it's just like well gotta do something <laughs> why not go live on a farm and be by myself so I live in Wyoming, so I already live in a state that has five people in it. Yeah, and I honestly, I looked at Wyoming too, but it's just, the only reason I discounted Wyoming, because I looked, I mean, I looked hardcore, because like the idea of like a yak farm sounds so fun. Um, and there are, I, I don't think Wyoming has t like income tax either, but uh, the water supply, you look, it's a little sketch. <laughs> yeah. in, in a few years, I mean, now, sure, but like in a few years, like even more so, so I'm like, well, we'll stay. With, we'll stick with the W, but like pivot to Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean that's fair. Um, I just I really like the lack of people here. So. That's like literally why I was like I'm going for a state with nobody. It's going to be a red state, which is not where I'm at. But that's just where you got to find the nobody, like the states with nobody in it, where I can just buy up all this land. Yeah, for sure. So where's so, your where's your commune going to be? Um, I think I haven't actually decided because I really like Wyoming. Um, it's not like it doesn't have the best growing season by any means, but I do all raised beds anyway. So, um, that helps with that, but, and I'd probably do most things in like a greenhouse just because it's Wyoming and our growing season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's actually, <laughs> there was an old missile silo that someone had converted into a bunker outside of town that has like eight stories underground that has, I don't know what it's actually called. What? You're, you're going to hate this, but it out has like a built in like fish farm. So you could actually farm fish. So you could, yeah. Um, Cause it's one of the only animals that you can produce inside, no matter what's happening. Um, they'll just, yeah, but you could, and you can set that up to be like hydroponics. Like I've yeah. actually grown hydroponically, not with fish, but I've seen setups with fish in it. And it's mm -hmm. so wild and so cool. Yeah. But this crazy thing, I looked on it on Willow. 
because it had like a theater room and it had like it was just crazy it was like this crazy penthouse like thing but it was just a, a miss, missile silo that somebody converted I don't know if it ever sold because it was you know a few million dollars minimum <laughs> chunk but, change yeah um but I don't know I have I have a friend okay so I've never asked this question on my podcast I ask people in real life but in real life people might find me a little it's okay if they find me creepy but here goes nothing. This is how I determine if you as an individual are allowed to be in my post-apocalyptic. Oh, I'm so here for this. Ad. Okay. Are you in a post-apocalyptic state willing to eat humans who died of natural causes? Not of murder, not, not like hunting people, but if they died and are disease-free and need to eat them to survive, are you willing? I mean, I hate to publicly announce that, but yeah. Only because, and here's why. Because I have switched to carnivore, I have under, I understand meat in a very different way. It sounds so fucked up. I understand meat in a very different way. And um, I don't know how, I wonder, I would want to do research, but I mean, if you have to survive, that's how you survive. But I would be really curious what eating human meat, other than like take ethics aside, because tons of ethics. Right. But like, are, can we eat ourselves? Like, are we get what's the nutrients we would get from that? And yeah, I just have lots of questions now. But, but yeah, the answer generally would speaking would be yes, because above all else, my idea would be to live. Yeah. Yeah. So that's and that's really what the question is is trying to determine. Are you willing to do what is necessary to survive? Because if you're not, you might not be a good fit for our group because you See, might I think up. that's no I think that's a really interesting question um I I might steal it and but to d determine different things so what I mean by that is like I think that if you knew much of my story it would be clear the answer <laughs> only in the sense of I would I have not taken as much shit as I have in life pre-apocalypse to like go down post-apocalypse you know exactly like, I do what I gotta do. I'm doing it. Yeah, exactly. I, if I've made it this far, there is no chance that I'm not surviving until the day that I decide I don't want to be here anymore. Right. Like, really as simple as that. But I am now curious and may Google incognito mode if we can eat <laughs> ourselves and what that means for our body and our nutrients. They probably haven't even done studies because that probably is unethical to do the studies on that. Okay, so it's totally unethical to do a study for sure. Um, and I think I may have developed this question after reading the book Custom of the Sea, um, which is just some random book I got somewhere. And it was about people, they weren't even being shipwrecked. Maybe they were, I don't know. They're out on the open sea. So it, it, was cut, it was the story of the first people that got prosecuted for cannibalism on the open sea because the British government was like they're like this is bad form and we need to stop people from doing this and people are like yeah but this is how people survived on the open sea for ever like, oh yeah because I guess if you're out there and you can't you can't where do you get food right 
And so like if they're if they're stranded, they would draw straws for who had to be sacrificed until until they could catch a wind again or whatever. Um, and it's the story of the the captain who I don't know if he was the captain. He was the captain by the time they actually made land. Um, and how he got prosecuted for being a cannibal, even though like at the same time there were people like going around in like the circus claiming to be cannibals that weren't prosecuted. Like that was okay as entertainment, but for someone oh. to actually do it. So they were like, We need to make an example of this guy so people stop doing it. It was very interesting. I don't know, I read it eons ago, but I think that's where like this question finally was was like am I would I be willing to do that would I be able like would I be willing to draw straws to survive and I was just like yes 100% and then I started asking people because I'm a fucking creep um and there's been a there's been a handful of people who've been like no absolutely not but I have this skill this skill this skill and I'm willing to do all of these things and I'm totally willing to not like I'm willing to go hungry and provide these skills. And I'm like, okay, you, I guess, can be in our clan because you offer enough other things. Um, that's I, hilarious because I literally learn skills because that sounds so ridiculous. But what the hell is marketing? I mean, I and this is so fucked. But I looked at it as a young kid from like the view of holo- like the Holocaust. Like you would hear about. Like, I, I know I would need to make myself resourceful and marketing is not a skill set that's going to be, I mean, okay, great, I'm strong. But, like, also, I can't produce babies. I have no uterus. So, like, in a world of, like, a handmaid's tale, I would be definitely kicked aside. Uh, but I'm strong. Uh, so I learned massage. I've learned, I'm like, okay, what are things I can learn that would make them to not want to kill me? Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know what other skills I can learn at this point, but uh, I'm down to learn some skills to uh, be more more valuable on a in a in a post-apocalyptic world um yeah and i think it's really interesting too because i see our society which i love but starting to veer (laughs) veer towards more natural things veer towards like the old ways of doing things um and learning self-regulation techniques so that they don't have to rely on medication or learning how to make balms out of herbs and just like natural things so that worst case scenario you can't get into a, a store to buy what you need you also know how to make it and you know what like what nature provides because like everything we have is here because nature exists and however we've manipulated it whatever into our modern day society it is still provided by nature in one way or another right but there's like there's a lot of people who are exploring now like I like to say the more pagan way of doing things um because you look at like indigenous peoples and I don't know my I have a friend who has a goat farm and she makes phenomenal like my mom's fingers crack and she's like oh I need to borrow your 
your gardener's bulb or whatever because nothing I can buy at the store fixes it. But this thing that Christy made, like 100% makes it go away in a day because she understands herbs and oils and like how to put them together. And those are the kind of skills that like when society collapses or if you decide to wander off into the forest, those are the skills that are going to keep you alive. So I've actually been watching Life Below Zero on Disney, like just just straight plowing through. And I've so far learned this one lady does, she was like, oh yeah, if you collect the lard behind the eyeballs, it's great for making um, shampoo and all this. And I was like, okay, cool, noted. <laughs> but I mean, also watching the, some of the people trap and skin animals, um, mm-hmm. I eat, I because I am carnivore, I have like, I have to incorporate a lot of those things into my diet. And so it's like really, it was just a cool way to see that too. Um, but you're definitely right in the sense that uh, knowing all how to live off the land and a lot of that does come down to learning from indigenous folks and like you said like you bring in the paganism for I, there's a lot of people like archaeologists and in, in astrologists I know that's a weird but like the idea is that we squashed as a <laughs> white society <laughs> um we and you know the, that's how these stories were told through time as you hear you know the, the indigenous people's uh stories and the way they do things um, a lot of their records were destroyed, but and a lot of their elders have unfortunately died. I know a lot. I don't know a lot, but I know more about this than a lot of people do. My best friend's native, and so I've learned so much, so so much from her. Um, but it's opened my eyes to in in beliefs of things because, like for astrology, people roll their eyes at it, and I'm not one to like really go into it. But I can't help but acknowledge that there probably is some truth in a lot of those things because how would we be still talking about this years and years later? Um, if, if there weren't some truth to some of those things, same way with like the homeopathic remedies. I mean, I'm not like trying to give clout to the anti-vaxxers, but they're, you know, in some of those moving into more than the natural ways of doing things. Yes. Um, but obviously science is still, and facts are still a thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I don't mean to be like, oh, I'm watching to prepare for the post-apocalyptic time because it's definitely entertaining, but yeah, I'm learning a lot. Uh, life is plug for disease life below zero. I mean, I'll I'll plug for Outlander because my mom was like, I have this rash oh, the yeah. other day, and I was like, it's okay. Like if it turns, like if you get gangrene, I totally like I've watched enough Outlander. I could totally amputate your foot for you. Not a big deal. Uh, like yeah, bite down on this. I got you. <laughs> Outlander is another good one. You're totally right. <laughs> Which so side note about that show. I think it's so funny that, like, they go back 200 years in time. So if anyone has not seen Outlander, spoilers, they go back 200 years in time. So they're, like, from the mom from, like, the 40s and then the daughter eventually in the 60s. And they're, like, acting like their daughter going to MIT for an engineering degree in the 60s is just, like, normal for women. And I'm just, like, that is still not, like, that was still very rare back then. (laughs) Yeah. And they're just like, oh, I don't totally, I'm like, that might be one part where the writers were like, I don't know, they're pushing this, like, a little too hard, because as someone who was born substantially after that, I still don't feel like, um, I, I don't feel like as a woman, I have all the rights that a man does, which makes me mad, so. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, okay, so since we did this a little bit backwards, um, we'll see where this tangent takes us. Um, so usually the first question I ask people, which I have not asked you, is Nicole, who are you? Um, that's a fun question. I am the one, the thing I want to like elevator pitch spit out my mouth is I am a neurodivergent adventure seeker that's in bed most nights by 9 p.m. Uh, I do digital marketing for a living. Um, I have worked for agencies for many, many years, but I'm on my own now. I think it's because I came, I got my ADHD diagnosis and was like, let's learn all I can about this. And then it was like, wow, I've been living in a neurotypical world for way too long. <laughs> Um, I'm a power lifter, mostly retired. I am someone who is curious and open to all things, new ideas, old ideas. Um, I love, I love conversations. I love connecting with people. I love asking questions. I interrogate people a lot. Um, so it's really cool that you can do this on a podcast because actually I had someone write in my yearbook once that <laughs> it was something like, like Oprah. And Sally Jesse Raphael, I think that Nicole will too be one of the great talk shows of our time. Oh, what a great thing to write in a yearbook. But anyway, um, yeah, that's who I am in, in a one minute-ish spiel. All right, so to finish this out, I have three random questions for each of us. Okay. Would you like left or right? Right. Oh, we have to start on on A, sorry. What is the luckiest thing that has happened to you? Ooh. You know, I think that, I think that my life has been lucky. Um, I know that's not really quite answering that question, but I feel like I've stumbled upon a lot of nuggets of growth and healing and and things that I've found far earlier in life than a lot of people have. And I feel like that is luck. But I also think that's just also partly me. Um, so yeah, I would, I don't know how to say that. But like, I think that a lot of the hardships were lucky, because if I didn't take those hardships, I wouldn't be the resilient person I am today. I don't know, that's a really hard question. Because luck, people think of luck as like, oh, I won the lottery, that's lucky. And it's like, no, they played the lottery eight bazillion times to get that. That wasn't luck, that was statistics and odds. Um, so I think that uh, being alive, that's, I mean, that's what's made me lucky is the fact that I get to be alive every day and I get to explore each and every day. And I'm grateful for that. Uh, that's beautiful, I like it. And I mean, it's probably the one thing in your life that you had the least amount of say control over like you didn't have any say in being bored <laughs> yeah um okay my first question what is the best concert you've been to and why was it so good um i i don't know so I'm going to say a tie between three. One was seeing Gogo Bordello at Red Rocks because even though, so they're a gypsy punk rock band, if you're into that kind of thing. Um, and it was at Red Rocks, which is 
a phenomenal natural amphitheater if you've never been. And they are just phenomenal entertainers. And it was crazy and wild and so much fun. Um, the other two would be the two Frank Turner concerts I went to this last year. Um, Frank Turner is my favorite band. And they were doing a like a 50 state tour in 50 in 50 days I don't know they yeah no they toured the entire United States they like played two shows some days but it was the first time they came to Wyoming but it was like I went to the show in Denver which was fantastic um it was really fun because I took my well he's my boyfriend now but we had like just started being friends then and it was his first punk show and so just introducing someone to that atmosphere was glorious because <laughs> he was just like this is amazing and I was like <laughs> I know <laughs> like look at all the different people and they're all just community because punk rock does that. um and then the other one was like whatever job I had to do on Tuesday we were supposed to have a show because I work at the local music venue we were supposed to have a show that Tuesday and it got canceled so then I bought tickets to the Tuesday night show up in Casper and made my best friend ditch out on work on Wednesday night and drove three hours to see my favorite band play in Wyoming for the first time at like this little bar. And it was just really fun. And like taking, maybe the concert wasn't the best, but the adventure around the concert made it the best. So those are my third, third, third tides. I don't choose favorites very well. Okay, your next question. Who do you remember from your school days and what do you remember about them? Oh, I have a really good memory. So I could recall things that would creep people out and quite frankly have. Um, from my school days, um, it's, I don't have, I could, there's tons of people I could recall, but sadly a lot of the things I recall, I can recall about are people who were making fun of me or saying negative things or that fun game. Um, I did have a positive experience. I had tons of friends and I was voted, um, I, I won uh, most recognizable laugh, but ended up that go, went to somebody else, but I also won biggest gossip, whatever. Uh, so like I was obviously a well-known person. Um, I don't know. I would probably have to say from my childhood, uh, my best friend, Jory, which is not a name you hear very often. Um, but jewelry is how I made it through high school, if I'm being honest, and college and after. <laughs> um, I don't, we're not still friends anymore, but um, those friendships that were made early on were, were quite integral in my success in making it through the hell that is being younger. People talk about like youth and wanting to go back, and I'm like, nope, <laughs> no, no. The older I get, the better life gets so I'm gonna keep going that direction 100% I also had a friend named Jory so what how is that real <laughs> I don't know but it happened um okay so and I you know people I really liked your answer to that because when people ask me questions like that like my kids have been like what like we have this similar card game but like for families right and it was just like okay mom like what are some happy memories from childhood and I'm just like 
trying not to panic about whatever the situation is. So it's funny because I have that same conversation with with customer service reps. So I'm really glad that I'm not alone in the whole like I know that I'm angry. I know that I'm irate. I know it's not your fault. I'm so sorry that it's directed at you, but I don't know how else to give it because this is how it's coming. I also can tell, uh, I had a wise man once tell me, set, setting aside my neurodivergence, which traffic and driving is a thing because I my impul- impulsivity, you're in my way, get the fuck out, I can't handle it, like whatever. So driving is always a thing for me. Once I become rich and wealthy, the first thing I'm doing is hiring a driver. The whole point of this though, is I can tell when my mental health is not in a place of being okay when I'm in traffic and I'm angry. Like if I'm feeling personally offended because you've cut me off, like I know that I need to get some things in check. Um, and so like, that's generally a gauge for me. And I oftentimes, I use, I have a lot of empathy for those people who are walking in and getting angry um, at stores. Yes, a lot of people will look at them and judge them. But for me, like I used to be that person and I didn't understand that it was just, I wasn't healed. I didn't have coping mechanisms. I didn't know how to deal with my shit. And so it just leaks out everywhere. Um, and so when people come up in and they're just angry as hell, it's like, okay, um, your life must suck and you must be in a really bad place. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't judge you. It's just like, okay, well, I can meet that with empathy and, and hopefully respond accordingly to that. Not always, but yeah. generally speaking. Yeah. And it, I mean, I think it takes a catalyst. I think meeting people with kindness especially if they are not in a kind place um it can bring people down from like their heightened state and realize that they don't have to be angry or they don't have to be in a panic and that like things can be taken care of and i think it does it takes somebody somebody who has their grounding somebody who is empathetic to their situation to be able to do that and that's a skill that is learned and not I mean there might be some people who are naturally gifted at that but I think that is definitely a skill for most people and it's not something that most of us learned growing up I think I I hear you I think um I might be one of the people that's like just empathetic by nature um and I say that because like I've heard that my whole life uh, for example, when I was at the water park, um, as I mean, I mean, mid twenties and I saw this kid struggling and, uh, he was overweight and he sat by himself and I was just like, I, I want to go sit with him. Like this kid is just like ostracized likely because of the way he looks. And, um, we were getting in the lazy river and I, was like you know what I'll catch you guys in the next round I went and sat and talked to him and my friend was like you are so empathetic it's ridiculous Nicole it's like becoming a problem and I'm like but that poor kid was by himself I just wanted to go sit with him and say hi so I get that empathy can be learned I think it's not necessarily empathy that I had to learn it's that I had to recognize what I was witnessing as opposed to like oh someone's yelling at me because with neurodivergence I do struggle with emotional regulation so if I'm in a place that's high I have a hard time coming down. I mean, I've gotten tools. I'm much better at it now, generally. Um, but just having the tools to recognize, oh, that's where that person's at. I'm not going to, I don't have to attend every argument I'm invited to. And I'm not going to meet this at the level that they're at. Um, yeah. I like that. You don't have to attend every argument you're invited to. Yeah. That's, that's some wisdom right there. Okay. My next question <laughs> 
what is a good habit that you have now that you wish you had adopted sooner? Uh, we already covered this. Rest and recovery. Just prioritizing, like, taking care of myself and not running myself around. That's a very good question, though. It is. All right, your last question. What is your greatest strength, and is there a corresponding weakness to it? So the yin-yang theory is, is going to tell you yes. Um, my greatest strength is... Ooh, I, you know what? I'll use empathy. I'll say that my greatest strength is empathy, but it also can be a weakness because it can make me prioritize other people over myself, other people's needs, wants, and in a way that's detrimental to myself. Um, so if I'm not super cognizant of it, codependent behaviors will pop up and will allow uh, my mental health to go down because I'm not paying attention to the fact that they, this, I need to prioritize my own. I don't give myself enough empathy. I'm hard on myself. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways it can be negative, but at the same time, I think empathy is what allows me to have the connections I do have with humans, even though I am very intense. I try recognize that I'm an intense human. So I try really hard to like slowly come upon people. Uh, but yeah, I generally, I love that. I'm, once I find out a little bit about you, I'm going to start digging and, and it is an interrogative process, but a lot of people are open to talking to you about things little side note and then I'll stop because I know we're getting close to a lot of time here but I had insulation put in my attic and this guy was here um doing the like walkthrough and show me all these like leaks in my house and everything and I started asking questions and he started talking and I learned that he was diagnosed borderline psychopath and I was like what and so my curiosity took off well before my reasoning and thinking could take off and so I started asking questions about like well wait what's borderline mean also this man's in my house and so he's like, well, I had a lot of tests that were done on me um, around the age of 12, 13, 14, because I had a psychotic break. And I was like, what, well, what happened? I mean, if you're going to ask. And he basically, he told me that his babysitter had been sleeping with him. And I was like, okay, well, what tests did they run? You know, like, what does this look like? And he's like, well, you know, this, that, and the other. And I was like, okay. And he's like, well, I'm really gifted. So they couldn't tell, they didn't identify it immediately. And I was like, okay, well, you just told me that you're really smart, which makes sense. Most psychopaths are, uh, how do you not, how do I know you didn't like cheat the tests? <laughs> and he's like, well, because I mean, have you heard of micro expressions? I was like, yes, I get that. But I mean, again, you're super smart. And he's like, well, you're 11, 12, 13, 14. Like you're not smart enough to know how to outsmart these things. I was like, okay. And then I was like, well, how has this affected your life? And he's like, well, honestly, like in work, it doesn't matter because there's rules and boundaries, which I totally understand that too. Give me a set of rules and boundaries. I am great. Um, but then he says, it's in my personal relationships that can get kind of hairy. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I can be kind of obsessive. And um, he's like, and I don't know, sometimes he's like at night, I'll go home and shower and I'll think about the conversations I've had throughout the day. And I'll wonder to myself, you know, if I manipulated them or if it was just like a normal conversation. And I was like, whoa, that's how he real like, that's how it's borderline. Like, that's how he has enough reasoning to like, if he's thinking through that, that means there's like some sort of, there's something there. Right. And so I was talking to him and he was talking about how he had gone through, um, he had a bunch of stuff happen to him at one short period of time. Um, a lot of trauma, three, two miscarriages, divorce, uh, a few deaths in the family and then COVID hit. And I was like, okay, well, that's a lot. Do you have feelings? And he's like, yes, I feel feelings. And I was like, but you're 
Echo bath how does that work? Uh, and he said that it was, he imprints on people. And as this is happening, I'm starting to realize that this man is interested in me because of my interest and curiosity in him. And that's when I started signaling, it's time to leave. <laughs> I was like, oh no, I should not, like curiosity got went too far, got too excited. But I was like, I've never met had that diagnosis before that's so intriguing and I want to learn more but I also realized that I needed to do it in a more controlled environment but I thought that was just so fascinating I love humans they're so amazing 100 percent um I did a a self a self-based study um out of college I worked for coca-cola and so I worked with I was a merchandiser I hung out with all the pepsi dudes and like all the merchandisers in the market and I was the only girl who worked there, which is the story of my life. Um, but like in the conversations, like they would always be like, oh, yeah, you totally have a thing for me. And I'm like, I know I don't. <laughs> like, why would you think like, what could you talk to me? I'm like, right. What else am I supposed to do here? Like, I see you every day. I'm not supposed to talk to you. Like, and then so like I did a, a study on them like one by one I was just like okay so that lady just asked you if she could squeeze by and grab a bag of chips was she hitting on you and they were like yes 100% and I'm like why do you think that they're like well if a woman talks to you it's because she likes you and she's interested I'm like no like people are just like you can just be friendly to other people like you, you can't like you can just talk to people because they're humans and it not be romantic or sexual or anything and they're like no 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 so like for weeks I was just like okay what about like that old lady just like walked in and was telling you that there's this crazy hailstorm outside and what did you take and she's like oh yeah she totally thinks I'm cute and I'm like no there is just an epic storm happening and so like like anytime a woman talks to you and every single one of them every single one of them when I surveyed them separately we're just like if a woman talks to you she's interested in you and I was like I'm never allowed to talk to a man again because apparently being like hey how are you signals that I want to procreate with you which is so not the case <laughs> I am a very complimentary person I can't help it like I just hype people up it's fun for me um oftentimes too like people don't recognize how they look especially like in the gym settings so I will catch I'll film somebody if I get their consent first like hey look at your biceps here oh my god did you see this anyway I always always unless it's true I always preface it with I'm not hitting on you but because I because I I realize that's a thing but if I am hitting on you I won't say that but I, I had a guy ask me the other day he's like Nicole why you always say that and I'm like yeah because everyone misinterprets everything and I'm gonna set that I'm gonna set that right now I am not hitting on you but look at that. You look good. Look at that booty. Look at that. Whatever, you know, and people are like, okay, what? Huh? Okay. And they like feel themselves a little bit more. And I just wish, like, I just wish I could show people, um, even random strangers that like, Hey, I'll, I'll randomly tell women that like, I love their hair or whatever. Cause it's yeah. safer to tell women. I'm not going to randomly tell a man something in public. Usually the only time, I think the only thing I usually compliment a man on in public, like pretty regularly, are their shoes. Like if a dude I has socks. a sweet set of kicks, I'm just like, I like your shoes. And like, then I just like scurry away because I <laughs> don't think that I'm interested in anything more. But yeah, it's, it's a very interesting, uh, I don't know, humanity is, is weird. 
Okay, so my last question. If you had to teach people about love and relationships, what would you say? Well, that's a lo- um, really, okay. Softball question. <laughs> I would say you always have to love yourself first. And relationships depend more on if you are working, if you are both actively participating in the relationship and working towards the same goals, then how much you care about each other. Because love does not sustain relationships. Correct. And that's not just me being cynical. I think that's just true. <laughs> like, there's a lot of people who I love who I would never date. <laughs> so. Right. All right. Is there anything, before we close this down, that you think people haven't heard that they need to hear from you? Um, this is a really weird thing to throw out there. But I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't. So um, as I kind of have sprinkled in, uh, I have endometriosis. Um, I've had a hysterectomy. It took, um, I've had three surgeries total. Uh, My mom is in medical care. So I have had medical privilege my entire life. And it took three doctors and six years to diagnose me with endometriosis. And the first surgery I had to diagnose endometriosis was improperly done and I wasn't, the tissue wasn't sent off. So um, anyway, what I'm getting at in a very long roundabout way is one in 200 million women and humans with uteruses suffer from endometriosis. You likely know someone and love someone who has endometriosis. A lot of them don't know they have it because it's not talked about, it's not funded, it's not researched it's a women's issue. So therefore, you know, it gets nothing. And I don't mean to say that it's not a women's issue. It's a person, I want to be very inclusive with my language because it doesn't just affect women. Um, so if you're having any sort of problems with your period, if it's painful, if it is debilitating, if it's irregular, it is not normal. You should see somebody. If they tell you that you're crazy or you're wrong or it's, oh, it's just this, find someone else. You can fire your providers and you can hire other ones. And do not rest until you have answers. Um, because it is the first time in my life that my quality of life is this good. I have spent many, many days of my life in the fetal position, vomiting from pain on painkillers, you know, just the whole thing. Um, so the one thing I want to say, which was not topical at all of any of this, is just, hey, if you have painful periods, it's not normal and you should get that checked out. 100%. That was, I think, the best full, we'll call it elevator speech. It was a very good elevator. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So with that, thank you all for joining us on the Common Humanity Podcast, where we are here to have real human conversations. We'll see you next time.